0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Goat Network, also the Goat Podcast. It's your hosts, Michael Clark and Monica Teskey. Monica, welcome back.
1: Thanks, glad to be here.
0: I know that uh, that you didn't watch the Super Bowl, and I understand, you know, it just wasn't your cup of tea. But I, I have to say, because we have to cover it very quickly, you know, we're gonna have to talk about it. Um, that is the best super bowl i have seen in forever Mm -hmm. it was more entertaining than the 38 35 game between the eagles and chiefs last year Mm -hmm. it was i think the perfect balance of what the nfl is supposed to be every phase of the game mattered and that was on full display There were special teams turnovers and special teams blunders with missed extra points and Super Bowl record field goals being made. Uh, There were also problems, you know, just with some turnovers in general, defense getting some stops and takeaways and the offense making some blunders, but also when it mattered most, both Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes were able to get it done. Now, of course, the unfortunate thing for Brock Purdy is Mahomes had the last laugh. And Purdy was a a player that I think a lot of people were hoping would play either really, really well or really, really bad. But I think he was very solid. If you had told me that a last pick of the draft was going to be starting at quarterback in his second season, I would have assumed that something drastic happened to one of the other team's quarterbacks. I would have just automatically thought somebody got hurt, you know, and they're not playing. Um, And I wouldn't have expected it to be a close game. Right. Purdy's the real deal, and we got to stop acting like he's not. He's good. I do think that if they let Brandon Ayuk go, like they're projected to have some problems apparently, that that's going to be an issue. But – I think Purdy's going to win a couple of Super Bowls in San Francisco, and I'm, I'm very, uh, very interested to see what they do this off season because usually you have a team that loses the Super Bowl suffer a hangover. Uh, yeah, they call that the Super Bowl hangover. And at first, the Eagles were looking like they weren't going to have that, and then we all know what happened with the rest of their season. You know, they they go one and five, I think, over their last six games. And end up going one and six because they lost in the wild card to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there's your hangover, you know. And the year before that, the 49ers, you know, the not the year before that, but the the Super Bowl before that with the Chiefs and 49ers, the loser of that Super Bowl definitely suffered a hangover. Ironically, the year that the Chiefs lost to the Buccaneers, it was actually reversed. You know, neither one of them really did that great. Or that bad. But the Bengals mm-hmm. and Rams were both back in the Super Bowl or in the Super Bowl that following season. So Monica, what are some takeaways that you have? Uh, if I asked you to speak now on the Super Bowl that we just experienced, and you know, um, I don't know about you, but I think they've gone two for two. Uh I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of Taylor Swift puns. Just- <laughs> They have gone two for two of the last two Super Bowls. (laughs) But, Monica, what are your thoughts about the Kansas City Chiefs repeating for the first time since 2003-2004 with the Patriots doing that?
1: Honestly, and you know how much it pains me to say anything good about the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes is that guy. Definitely. And... I think I I think I said this to you you know around the time of the Super Bowl. It it's crazy thinking that we have as recently as Tom Brady has been crowned the goat, Patrick Mahomes can easily overtake him.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, you ready? Let's go. He already has. He already has. Brady, at this point in his career, wasn't as much of a pass-happy league as it is now back then, but right. at this point in Brady's career, he did not have the numbers that Patrick Mahomes had. Right. Now, they had the same Super Bowls, but you're talking about a few Kansas City Chief drops in that Buccaneers loss away from Mahomes being 4-0 and in his Super Bowls because you cannot put the loss – to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Mahomes' shoulders, he did yeah. everything he could. I mean, literally, some of the greatest highlights the Super Bowl has had are some of the incompletions that that man was throwing because he was vertical, throwing the ball. You know, in a in a position or horizontal, I should say yeah, horizontal. Yeah, um, yeah, he's always vertical throwing the ball. Hopefully. but he was he was horizontal on one of those, and it hit the Chiefs player in the hand, and he dropped it. And there were like three or four touchdowns that were dropped by the Chiefs players in that Super Bowl. And so it's like you're talking that away from him being already surpassing Brady in the Super Bowl realm. They're tied three and oh at this point in their, you know, as far as how many titles they've gotten. Um and,
1: and what's crazy to me is thinking about the Super Bowl historically is where we've seen some of the best catches of all time. Yep. Just in recent memory, I think of uh the Giants one, and then the Julian Edelman one, and then we come to that Super Bowl, and nobody can catch a ball. And it's like, hold on, what happened to everybody can catch everything in the Super Bowl?
0: Well, and that Jermaine Curse, uh catch against the Patriots a couple years ago too, back in okay. 2015, I think, where it was literally he was circusing to catch that ball. Um mm-hmm. But I'll say that Mahomes has already surpassed Brady for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a very likely scenario that when Andy Reid is done, they can hire another offensive guru-type player, or not, coach, away. Because let me ask you this way. If I'm Sean McVay, okay, and I'm watching Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid Basically, even in their worst year together since he's been with the Chiefs, um, with Mahomes as his starter, I should say, they still win a Super Bowl. They're Mm -hmm. still unkillable, it seems. Mm -hmm. I'm watching that, and I'm looking at the L.A. Rams, who are just in cap purgatory and are struggling year after year to really put together a team because they've got so many players that are overpaid at this point. The money's not there
1: it's because of their forget them picks attitude.
0: Then that's part of the problem, but that's what the Chiefs are kind of doing too with the high rounds like they don't really care
1: no, about they, who they pick. They have um, to.
0: and I think if I'm if I'm Sean McVay, do I go to LA at some point and say I want to be traded and I'll only go to Kansas City? Because if Andy Reid leaves and McVay comes in, you're in the same situation because mm-hmm. for the rest of Mahomes' career McVay's going to be able to be that guy. I think that's what we're going to see happen. I think we're going to see an offensive guru follow Andy Reid, and it's just going to be the same story over again.
1: It doesn't matter who it is. Anybody with any sense as a coach would want to go with Patrick Mahomes.
0: Yeah. I asked the Steelers community and Bleacher Report. I said, look, I know it's not going to happen but I'm just curious. Let's say you're the GM of the Steelers and the Chiefs are going to trade Mahomes, okay? Yeah. so We're in fairy tale land because neither one of those things are going to happen. I'm never going to be the GM of the Steelers unless it's Madden, and the Chiefs are definitely not going to trade Patrick Mahomes. What would you give up, though? And I'm going to ask you the same question from a Denver perspective here in just a second, but I was getting answers from Steelers fans going, I would give up a first-round pick For every Super Bowl appearance that he has made. So that's four already. Then, on top of that, they said I would also give any player that they wanted. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a dangerous slope with that because the Chiefs could come back and say, okay, well, we want Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt. And then you're kind of in a difficulty, but the Chiefs don't have a star at safety. They don't have some superstar at safety. Or do they have Justin Reed? Justin Reed's not a top-ten safety in this league. No. They don't even have, outside of Nick Bolton and George Karloftis and Chris Jones, people that on the offensive side of the ball that they would be frothing at the mouth to get. I, I guess I should add Trent McDuffie. Those four players are the only ones that I think Kansas City will move heaven and earth to keep. Legereus Sneed, he's not coming back. I'd be shocked he was on record as saying, I want my money. Right. So he's going to go to the highest they bidder. Give it to him. No. And the Chiefs are going to be able to find some other corner in the fourth to seventh round, and he's going to come in and just look spectacular because that's what the Chiefs do. So you're you're in a position, though, where it's like, how do you stop this team? Because you're going to have to hope for the worst, and that is what we don't want to wish for. You're going to want right. injuries to kind of play a factor because unless Mahomes I, is out,
1: I'd never wish injury like exactly. I would never wish injuries on anybody.
0: And so you're you're really kind of in a situation where unless Mahomes does miss some games that they lose and cannot get back into it because the hole is just too big, mm-hmm. then you're not really beating this team. No. And if I am Jim Harbaugh, and I am John Harbaugh the only two teams in that division that really have a shot to give the Chiefs a run for their money would be the Chargers. And in the conference, I should say is the Ravens, the -hmm. Bengals. I know people are going to want to talk about the Bengals. I'll talk about them in a few minutes. Just bear with me. Those are the only two teams right now that people are really giving a, a big shot because the bills, we just have to close that book. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes is the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady era rivalry that we really w- witnessed because Brady was better than Manning 90 times out of 100. And yeah. those 10 times that Peyton was better, they were very rare. And so the, I don't think we're going to see you know the pendulum swing the other way and Josh Allen just all of a sudden be beating Mahomes six straight times and being ahead of him in the, in the head-to-head matchup. Lamar Jackson, he's beaten Mahomes once, but he hasn't beaten him in any other capacity when it counted and when it mattered most. So, Monica, I don't – it's a depressing way to start the episode if you're not a Chiefs fan, but I don't know. I just don't see anybody beating this team. And I think we talked about this – Um. I think the NFC is very weak. And right now, as a, as a free agent, I would be rushing to the NFC as much as possible, especially like the NFC South um, or just the NFC West even is still fairly least, weak.
1: You could at least make a Super Bowl appearance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You could at least appear in the Super Bowl. So there's one statistic that I know that I had shared with you uh, in the Super Bowl since twenty since two thousand one, there have been one hundred and twenty five drives in the NFL postseason under minute to play do or die type situations. Tom Brady went five for eleven in those situations. Drew Brees three for six. Patrick Mahomes this just uh, seven for seven in those last-minute do-or-die situations in the postseason.
0: Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and you got to give the guy credit. Like, they asked him after the game, do you have to be down 10 to, like, activate? Because all three of their Super Bowl victories, they were down 10 at one point. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, obviously, you know, we we do thrive on being down and trying to come back in, but we don't feel like we have to be down to win. Yeah. Um but to me when the when they were down 10 nothing i just remember sitting there thinking doesn't matter you know they were down 24 nothing or whatever to the texans and that game ended up being 51 to 31 or whatever so um i don't know it's it's like they're playing real life madden out there but we can't keep talking about the chiefs um i'm sure our listeners are very curious to know what our game plan is when it comes to the 2024 NFL offseason coverage that we're going to be providing uh Monica we provide daily content Monday through Friday pretty much the Tuesday after the combine mm-hmm. until like the last week of May so we we are kind of a sporadic network in that regard right now but this is the time to really want to subscribe to the goat Network. Yeah, and to tell your friends about it because we're going to give you a lot of information that you're going to be beneficial uh, to kind of be paying attention to. So, Monica, just give them a little bit of a tease of the titles of the episodes that we're going to cover each day of the of the week going forward, and then we'll do one episode like Avenger style where all of those topics are in one right now, and we'll move on from there. So, Monica, tell them what they can expect to be seeing starting Tuesday after the Combine?
1: Yeah, so uh, starting Tuesdays on the Combine, we're going to have uh, what we're calling our Tuesday Trivia Days, and that's basically just going to be just statistics, analytics stuff, or, you know, maybe throw in some random, you know, NFL, college football trivia type stuff, and that will be Tuesday. On Mondays, we'll just talk about the rumor mill, you know, what happened. Over the weekend, what are we hearing about draft prospects, about free agency, all that kind of stuff? Wednesday, we'll be talking about you know, prospects on the rise, that type of stuff. And then Thursday, that is our fantasy football day. Mm-hmm. Talk about all things fantasy football. So if you have questions about fantasy football that you want Michael to address, send them in to our email and uh you know, we'll, we'll get those addressed. And then on Fridays, Michael will do our mock draft episodes.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to act like, you know, you can't get fantasy advice from anybody else. But I did go undefeated in four leagues last year. And I did win five of the six championships that I made it to. And the only one I lost was a redraft league. So, but here's the thing. That redraft league that I lost, I still was able to, to get to the championship round having not played a redraft league in like seven years. So I can help in some ways that would be good. So don't forget it's goat versus goat at gmail.com. That's G O A T V S G O T E at gmail.com. we will put that in the show notes, of course, as always, but this is the time to kind of send around to your friends because, um, the mock draft coverage, Monica is usually pretty good here. Um,
1: Yes, and you met, as far as last year, in your first round, you got 25 out of 31, is that correct?
0: Of the players selected, yeah. Not the teams they went to, of course, but who was going in the first round.
1: And you, you can find many, many experts, many mock draft experts who get paid many, many thousands of dollars to do that kind of stuff who don't have that kind of accuracy. So there's, there's something there. There's something there for sure.
0: So if you want to donate, um, we will not turn that down.
1: <laughs> no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't. Turn
0: um, it. But let's, let's start in with the rumor mill. A couple of things that we need to address. Number one, I'm going to address one free agent signing. That would be detrimental to the team. And it would kind of surprise some people to hear it that way when I talk about it. And then The other rumor mill is just some some AFC candidates that I think I'm hearing some some rumblings that they might get cut. First is this. If the Jacksonville Jaguars re-sign Calvin Ridley, it costs them more than just the contract. They would have to give a second round pick to the Atlanta Falcons if that deal is done before the new league year sets in on March 13th, as far as not the new league year, but when free agency starts, if that contract is signed before then, they owe Atlanta a second-round pick. I do not envision Calvin Ridley going back to the Jacksonville Jaguars because of that reason. That might surprise you, but T. Higgins will probably not be available for Trevor Lawrence because the rumor is, on the same vein, and then I'll get into the cut candidates. Rumor is that T Higgins is going to be franchise tagged 20 something million dollars. one year.
1: Well, that was surprising to me.
0: That and was I, really- I have to admit, I was surprised by that too. All right, Monica cut candidates in the AFC. We'll do NFC on another, another occasion. Um, well, no, I'll just do it now. It's fine. Just give me a second. AFC cut candidates. Here are the names that I'm hearing. Nick Chubb. Wow, 28 years old, but he carries a 15.825 million dollar cap hit, the third highest among running backs, and the Browns are currently almost 20 million dollars over the cap. They would save almost 12 million in cutting Nick Chubb. That knee injury
1: We're running back.
0: Yeah, that knee injury um unfortunately that he suffered and the fact that Jerome Ford played very well I think is enough to to see Nick Chubb playing in Kansas City this upcoming season on a, a you know base contract because that is probably what will happen. Uh, also, two other names. Either Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack might be cut as well. The Chargers have their work cut out for them with Jim Harbaugh. They are $45.1 million in the red, and... Here's the um, crazy thing. $75 million of the cap space is being sucked up by Bosa and Mack. 36.6 for Bosa, 38.5 for Khalil. And even though Mack just had a career high in his sack totals, he's going to turn 33. So he could very easily be a cut candidate, but Joey Bosa too could be somebody that – you know, Jim Harbaugh could be the type of person that says, hey, I know how to build a defense. I did it in San Francisco because a lot of those guys came from nowhere. Navarro Bowman wasn't expected to be a really great player, and he turned out to be. Uh, I I think one of these guys could very easily be cut from what I'm seeing. Same team, same issues, uh, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams could also be candidates to be cut uh, for very, very similar reasons. Williams has a $32.5 million cap hit. Allen has a $34.7 million cap hit. At a certain point, you just can't justify that. Um, In New York, I'm hearing C.J. Mosley's name being thrown around as a potential cut candidate. And then in Buffalo, this is really sad, but Tredavious White, um, he has missed 30 games over the last three seasons, only has three interceptions in total. And the bills are fifty million over the cap, they could save six by cutting white pre-June first or ten point two post June first. I would bet they're gonna do the post June first. And I think Tradavius White will end up on a minimum contract in a team like San Francisco, Kansas City, Pittsburgh. He's gonna go somewhere where they have a chance to compete on a good defense, and maybe he doesn't have to be the guy in a in a situation like San Francisco, Kansas City, or Pittsburgh. Because they oh. all have established number one corners. Uh, in Miami, the following names: uh, Turon Armstead, he would give them about $8.8 8 million dollars, uh, in savings. Xavier Howard, that would save them $18.5 million if they cut him. Oh. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba would be able to save them about $13.7 So those are some names in Miami, uh, Cortland Sutton in Denver or Tim Patrick. I would lean toward Tim Patrick first, uh, because he's been just so injury prone the last few years. Uh, if they want to, they want to keep, you know, Sutton, then there's a $15.6 million cap hit with Patrick. That's insane. Y'all should not have signed him to that contract, but at the time it looked like a pretty good deal. Also yeah, at
1: the time he hadn't had that many injuries.
0: Right. Also, DJ Jones uh is another candidate. There's a $13 million cap hit. And if they just if they if they do cut him, they'll save about $10 million. So uh Kansas City, Marquez Valdez scantling could very easily be cut uh $12 million in savings if they do that, and just a $2 million cap hit uh to be carried over in dead cap. And so I think that that's very likely. You also have a J.C. Jackson in New England. He's got a 14.5 nearly cap hit. Um, they could probably just release him and find better better money elsewhere. Baltimore Ravens, Tyus Bowser uh, could easily be cut. $5.5 million in savings. Hunter Renfro for the Raiders. They need to cut this man. He has not been given a fair shake in Las yeah. Vegas. Uh, for the last, like, two years, he had, 103 quetche, uh, quetches. he had 103 catches in 2021, but he has 61 over the last two seasons combined. So, yikes. Uh, CJ Uzama has an $11.2 million cap hit in New York with the Jets. I, I easily see them cutting him. Uh, Deontay Hardy, Naheem Hines are also some Buffalo Bills that could be cut. Justin Reed is also somebody, though, that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. He mm. would be able to free up nearly $11 million in cap space if they cut him in Kansas City. Wow. Andre Dillard, offensive tackle for the Titans, could easily be cut and save about $6.5 million. Justin Simmons is very likely to be cut. Um, just kidding. He's probably more likely to be extended. Uh, yeah, he's, too, he's too he's good.
1: good. He's not going to be cut. But But I
0: I could see it happening because there's an 18.3 million dollar cap hit.
1: Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna gonna do something. Yeah.
0: Uh, let's see. Patrick Peterson, Allen Robinson, or some Steelers candidates. Uh, Peterson would create nearly seven million in space for the Steelers, and Robinson Mm -hmm. would create almost twelve, I believe, if we cut him. So that's like 19 million. Uh, That's probably wrong. No, I think that's actually right. Uh, Yeah, okay. Uh, Eric Kendricks for the Chargers, $6.5 million against the cap. So that's the AFC. Uh, In just a minute, I'll do the NFC. But, Monica, I think the crazy thing that we're going to be seeing here soon is more and more people, I think, are going to be cut. That makes no sense to us why they got to the point that they got to. Like, why in the world would Joey Bosa ever be a name that should be cut? It should never happen that way, but it will because they have too much money tied up in positions that don't matter as much. I think you could find a wide receiver every four years, even. And if you've got that guy like Keenan Allen, you don't need to have Mike Williams opposite of him. You Mm -hmm. would ideally like to have it, but you don't have to go into a massive amount of cap space debt to keep those players there when you can find wide receivers in every draft um so you know, I, here's,
1: I a, here's a thought that i had about that is are we going to like right now we're kind of in the string of quarterbacks signing like record-setting contracts over and over and over yeah like Jalen hurts had it for what like two days and then joe burrow took it something like that so is this something that's going to continue as long as these quarterbacks are getting these record-setting deals?
0: Right. I think that's the problem. If you're a quarterback, you're ruining your team. You're not helping it. Unless right. you're Mahomes, you know.
1: <laughs> and, and honestly, like, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. I mean, I understand the the concept of I really want to set my family up for long-term success, but it should be more about just you and your family. It should be about your team.
0: Yep. All right. Quickly, NFC side, uh, offensive tackle for the Packers, David Bakhtiari. He'd save about $21 million um, in caps Whoa. savings. So he's assuredly going to be released. Whoa, yeah, he's missed 38 of the last 51 games that he could have played in the last three regular seasons. Uh, He's going to be 33 years old next season. Um, All of those spell time to be cut. Uh, Harrison Smith is also one that I think would save about 12 million against the cap. Uh, Shaquille Barrett turns 32 in November and he would save them just 5 million, but it would be 5 million that they would need. Um, Right. Alvin Kamara, I think, is a, a very good cut candidate because the Saints are always uh, over the cap, but they are a league high eighty-four million dollars over the cap, and so mm-hmm. they have the um, they have the highest cap hit right now with Kamara. Mm-hmm. In the he would only open up eleven point seven million in savings, um, but it's eleven point seven they desperately need. Uh, Aaron Jones could be cut. I think that's a, a possibility. DeMario Davis is another one of those individuals. Uh, $12 million could be freed up by him if he's cut post-June 1st. So you're talking $23 million right there if you cut Davis and Kamara. And they did draft Kendra Miller last season, and you can go get another linebacker in free agency or the draft. Uh, Kevin Byard could open up about $13.3 million in cap savings for the Eagles, the safety, uh, Kenny Clark, defensive tackle would be able to open up $17 million in cap space if they release him in Green Bay. Michael Gallup and Brandon Cooks uh would be able to also be cut, either one of them really would free up some money. Uh, Johnu Smith would save them 6.5 million in Atlanta. Tracy Walker is an individual that could free up 8 million in cap space and with OB Melafonwu uh, playing so well at the safety, you know, hybrid position in Detroit yeah. last season. I think he could very easily be that guy. Brian Allen and Joe Noteboom are two individuals that I think uh, are being talked about of saving around twenty million between the two of them if they cut them both. But they're mm-hmm. both offensive linemen. That's hard to do. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Taysom Hill. Uh, has 15 point eight million dollars and he could open up 10 million in cap space if they cut him. So you're talking again, 30 million cut. you let go of Hill Kamara Davis. Now you're only 50 over the cap. It's still a lot, but it, it it's more manageable at that point. Uh, Mike or Mark Lewinsky is somebody that could save them about six million in in New York with the Giants if they cut him. Russell Gage would be able to save them some money, and he's currently counting $13.4 million against the cap, so they got to do something with that. He's not good enough for that. And finally, Quandre Diggs. Uh, Diggs has a $21.3 million cap hit, and there's $11 million in savings if the Seahawks were to cut Quandre Diggs. So, Monica, um, as you and I think about just the problems that are going on with the cap space and the issues that all these teams are having, how can you not sit there and be criticizing these teams for these foolish financial decisions? Like how did the new New Orleans saints get to $84 million in dead cap? And how does the league let that happen? That's just insane to me.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's the, I think it's honestly kind of a byproduct of we want to catch up with the Chiefs or we want to catch up with the Patriots because honestly the Saints did them this did this to themselves a long time ago.
0: That's true. That's true. And
1: you can't you can't always buy success. It doesn't work that way.
0: At least not Rams. Well, the Rams are the only team in the last like decade that bought a super team and actually won a Super Bowl with it.
1: The Broncos kind of sorta did that.
0: Yeah, but I mean they started that though in twenty thirteen. They it took them a couple years to win it. So because they did went they to the one Rams, and like got shlacked. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I remember that one.
0: And then the next one they went to, it wasn't very pretty were it not for that defense, you know, And the fumble that happened that Cam Newton decided he wasn't going to jump on. Um, I mean, so I I would kind of push back ever so slightly and say that was 11 years ago because they bought 90 percent of those players in 2013 and then didn't win until 2015. But I get what you're saying. They did win one within the last 10 years um, ever so slightly. But this time next year. It yeah, this next year it doesn't count. So I see why you're trying so hard to keep it, you know, where right. it's at.
1: So another one that you I noticed you did not mention on the cut candidates. I have been hearing a lot of rumors that Marlon Humphrey is going to get cut, and that would save them almost twelve million dollars against
0: the cap. So if you're if you're the Ravens you're you're picking 30th. You looked terrible in the AFC Championship game. And you're cutting one of your best players by necessity. When does Baltimore falter? When would that happen? How I mean They're, they're, they're coached by a good coach. I hate it. I don't like the guy, but he's a good coach. Um, you know, and I, I often lament if only he had not benched Flacco when he did, he would have been fired no longer in Baltimore. The Lamar Jackson era may never have happened in Baltimore the way that it did, but good coaches make the right moves at the right time, uh, to save themselves as well as the team. And that, that did prove to be the right move for, for the Ravens. But, I don't know. That's It's going to be interesting to see um, if that actually ends up happening. But, Monica, um, Tuesday Trivia. Give us the biggest statistic that you would like to talk about for Tuesday Trivia and kind of giving people a taste of what they can expect.
1: Okay, so just briefly, kind of something that I, that I was looking at is – I was just really curious. I had been hearing, as as has everyone, you know, Caleb Williams being compared to Patrick Mahomes. You know, Caleb Williams is the next Patrick Mahomes over and over and over. Heard it so many times I could be sick. So I decided to take some statistics and do a comparison of, you know, how they match up statistically. And I went beyond some of the more basic um stats like pass attempts, you know, yards per I went beyond that and did a few deeper stats and honestly they compare pretty well. But there was one that jumped out to me enormously that I wanted to discuss with you Michael. Okay. So Patrick Mahomes in his 2016 uh season in college the number of pressure, the sorry, the percentage of defensive pressures that turned into sacks was 10%. So, 10% of the time he was pressured, he got sacked. Caleb Williams, on the other hand, 23% of the time he was pressured, he got sacked. Huh. So, I know it seems like almost a foregone conclusion at this time that the Bears are going to take Williams, but how is he actually going to fare behind that offensive line? Because that's been one of the issues with Fields, is he gets sacked so much. So how how good is Caleb Williams actually going to be in the offense when he gets sacked almost almost one fourth of the times he gets pressured? And I mean that's 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 a big enough number to kill somebody's career in the NFL.
0: Well, yeah, because you're looking at the the Bears have the first overall pick and the ninth overall mm-hmm.
1: pick. Yeah.
0: Now it almost makes you wonder if they go offensive line with the ninth overall pick. You know, an Olu Fushanu, if they can if that guy's gonna be there. Cause I do think in the in the top five, you know, you've got Chicago, Washington, New England. Arizona's not gonna take a quarterback nor will the Chargers, but the Giants, the Titans, and the Falcons. Outside of the Titans, those those top eight teams, there's two teams that are not quarterback needy, and that is the Titans because they're going to see what Levis is this year, and the Chargers. You could, you could argue the Cardinals to make the third, and I would give them as the third honorable mention, mm-hmm. but if I am the Chargers and I see Caleb Williams fall to me, I don't even think about it. I just take the guy that we need for Justin Herbert. If I'm the Cardinals and there's some type of Jaden Daniels is somehow still there at four and you're sitting there wondering like, okay, well, if if the Patriots took Marvin Harrison, we take Jaden Daniels at four. And then we can turn around and say, who wants Kyler, Kyler Murray, you know, a team like Baltimore is not going to be involved in that. Of course, at the back end of the draft, but I think there's some teams where Arizona could use Murray to get back into the first round, um, mm-hmm. and and sneak in. Like Seattle could be an option, though I don't think they'd trade with a divisional opponent. Um, you could also point out that Tampa Bay would be a potential option there. Um, I don't know. I I'd, I would be curious to see, but if I am one of those top eight teams all of them could use a quarterback. So at Mm -hmm. nine, I know if I take a QB at nine, though I think Marvin Harrison is gone at four or five, you know, Mm -hmm. every other team could very easily be taking a QB. So then you have the best offensive lineman available, you know, to you. Just falls into your lap potentially. And so I'm going to be curious to see how that goes. Um, And I I like trim a lot excited that we're going to be able to offer them some statistical tidbits of information because if you're preparing a dynasty league, does that not deter Caleb Williams being the number one overall pick in your mind a little bit? Mm-hmm. In your you league know, specifically.
1: I would say especially if the Bears draft him. Now, he's going to have a better defense in Chicago than he's ever had at USC. Right. He's going to have better receiving core, all that stuff. But the concern is the sacks. Yeah. That's that's the that's the problem. All right. And also another (laughs) he takes a he takes over three seconds to throw the ball from snap to throw the ball. So (laughs) that offensive line is very, very important.
0: Yeah. And I think and Ben's last two seasons with the Steelers, he threw the ball in like 1.21 seconds after catching it or whatever. Like it was a very s- insanely yeah. fast number. Um,
1: it you was, don't have a lot of
0: success doing that though. Cause plays don't get to develop.
1: No. And, and I think kind of what just kind of going back to the time to throw stat is he had plenty of time to throw. Like, seconds is a long time to throw, but he was still getting sacked 23% of the time, so that's not not good.
0: Okay. Monica, on the rise Wednesday would be something that we would normally be covering with a more in-depth look at these types of prospects, but give, give two prospects, offense and defense, if you can, one of each that you think should be on the rise, and if you want to throw in a quick, you know, sentence or two as to why they mm-hmm. should be on the rise. Who's your offensive player? Or no, let's start. Defense wins championships. Let's start with defense. Who's your defensive player that you think should be on the rise and why?
1: I have not been hearing a whole lot about Jared Verse out of Florida yeah. State. And that kind of surprises me. I think it's because Florida State There was a lot of other drama going on in Florida State all season. But uh, whoever gets Jared Verse is going to be very, very lucky. I really like him. And I don't have his stats right in front of me, but just eye test. He's very impressive to me.
0: All right. Now offense.
1: In a lot of the mock drafts I've been reading, this guy drops out of the first round, and I don't exactly know why. Bo
0: Bo Nix. I'm going to be curious to see that because I do have Bo Nix in my mock draft. And we'll be talking about that here in just a few minutes. Do I have him going top 10? You'll have to stick around and find out. But no, I don't. Um,
1: (laughs) He's, he's been, he's been dropped out in favor of, you know, Michael Penix and, and I don't like either one personally. I don't necessarily understand why Penix. As far as talent, he's impressive, but I feel like he's Penix is like Tua. He's got the same right. injury history. He's left-handed. He his game is very, very close to Tua's game. Yeah, but, flashy,
0: but not what wins you championships. No, at least not at this point in Tua's career. Okay.
1: So I just I can't I I can't be comfortable with Penix and I would take Knicks over Penix.
0: Well, we come to the last two sections of our show today, giving a taste of what we're going to be talking about. And today we're talking about throwback Thursday, uh fantasy football. What we're what we're kind of discussing on Thursdays is that dynasty fantasy football redraft strategies if you need those. And Monica asked, I asked her, I said, what, what should I cover? And she said, how do you pick who your personnel is going to be in a league to, to maximize the ability to score? Because if you don't do this with every league that you're in, you are selling yourself short, okay? I learned this from my father. Uh, it proved to be the smartest way to run a league. And just a few years ago, in our main league, the good guys league, uh, a, a fuss, if you will, was raised about the scoring setup being in my favor. And people made, you know pointed out, Michael has all the highest scoring players and this and that. And so the vote was cast, enough votes to pass, uh, that we changed the scoring setup. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. I didn't like it, but I did it. Um, I then still outscored the rest of the league the next three seasons.
1: Mhm-,
0: and it's not because I'm just better than everybody else in this game completely that's that's part of it, as far as Bradley and I are concerned. I don't know that at this point in time Bradley's close, but we'll <laughs> you'll get there, buddy um he won't, but that's a. Okay. Uh, he doesn't listen, I don't think. If you are listening to this right now, Bradley, you should totally trade me um, another first-round pick. Anyways, it's because I go and do what I'm about to describe. As soon as we changed the scoring setup, I went to my league homepage, and I went to the scoring settings, and I looked at the first thing, which is league settings in general. What's your roster? Do you start one quarterback? Or two. Do you start a super flex with that second quarterback or do you start just two QBs? That matters. If it's super flex, for example, you don't have to play a QB there. It's the smartest thing to do that. But you could get away with not playing a QB there if you had a CD Lamb to give into your super flex, who's going to score a lot of points. Like if you had Dak in your quarterback slot, CD in your super flex spot, and because you did it that way, you were also able to get Tyreek Hill and um, A.J. Brown, then you've got a really good lineup there that helps you scoring-wise make up for the loss of the quarterback being in the Superflex. Ideally, though, my philosophy has always been prioritize the Superflex position, which is the QB position, fill in everything else later. You can always trade for the positions that you need and make your team stronger that way. But that's the first thing you got to do is you got to look at what you, what you start. How many running backs do you need? How many wide receivers do you need? What do the flex positions look like? Well, then after you do that, you got to go through the scoring settings. So for example, in this particular league uh, that we're using today, I won't name it, uh, but the scatter the broad network league um, in that particular league, you have 25 yards equals one point passing as a QB. Four points for a touchdown pass. We've got to change that. That's not enough. It should be six, just like it is in the real game, but that's okay. Two points for a two-point 2, two point conversion. Minus one for an interception. Okay. Just taking the quarterback position, all right? You're looking at a player where Josh Allen could end up hurting you more than he helps you. Even though at the end run, he's going to help you more than he hurts you. If Allen throws one touchdown and three picks, he only has one point for that touchdown that he threw. So that hurts. And there have been some games where that's what Josh Allen does. So you, you're trying to look at that point. Okay, who takes care of the football? Mahomes does. And, you know, you've got Mahomes, who doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. C.J. Stroud is a guy that didn't throw a lot of interceptions his rookie season. Those are two names that you know, yeah, they may only throw two touchdowns, but those two touchdowns are eight points if there's not a pick thrown. And the other guy that you're playing against has Josh Allen, you're probably outscoring him by a good five to six points just in the touchdowns. So that's the the first thing with the quarterback. I'll only cover the offensive side of the ball because – Defense doesn't really matter as much with this because we're not trying to cover that. But then you look at the running backs. The running backs are the type of people that you really want to make sure you know the scoring setup for two specific things. In this particular league, it is one-tenth of a point per 10 yards. Or, sorry, excuse me, per yard. So 10 yards is one point. So if you have a 100-yard game rushing, you have 10 points. If you have 100 yards rushing and you score a rushing touchdown, you have 16 points. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey becomes incredibly valuable then because of how many 100-yard games he has and how many touchdowns he scores. However, you also have to think about a guy like Travis Etienne who is just as easily capable of scoring touchdowns in but in bunches two or three he does that and he can also bust a couple of big runs and get over 100 yards the other guy that i think people may not be thinking about as much when it comes to this is jonathan taylor who on average scores at least you know five plus touchdowns a season and there are several games where he gets up around the 21 point mark just in this league alone Taylor had one, two, three games where he scored 21 points or more. He also missed the first four games of the season and didn't play much the first two games he was back because they were kind of easing him back in. Every game he played from that point forward, he scored at least 10 points. That's a guy that you can count on. That's a guy that you can trust is going to be worth having on your team. So you want to know that with the scoring for the running backs. Receiving-wise. My philosophy is with running backs and with receivers, the more they touch the ball, the better they are on your team. I want a running back like Derrick Henry on my team then in this type of league because if he's running for 100 yards and gets a couple of touchdowns, if he has 30 carries, he's probably getting over 100 yards. If he has 30 carries and two touchdowns, he has scored a 22-point game without anything else being done why would you not want that you have to factor that in with receivers it's the same way but just a little bit different same type of scoring setup 10th of a point per yard so 10 yards for one is one point but then they get a they get a reception bonus okay so when you look at the stats from 2023 in the wide receiver range these are the top 5 that you would want on your team and I'll tell you if I have them on my team or not, okay? C.D. Lamb, Tyreek Hill, Amon Ross St. Brown, Puka Nakua, and A.J. Brown. Those are the top five. I have four of the top five. The only name I don't have is Tyreek Hill. In the running back room, here are the top five that you want to have. Christian McCaffrey, Brees Hall, Travis Etienne we mentioned, Joe Mixon, and Richard White. I have Brees Hall and Travis Etienne. In the quarterback room, now Josh Allen in this league, even though he threw 18 interceptions, he was the highest you know, scoring player because of the running game too. You do want to factor that in, but if you're not counting in rushing statistics, Allen would definitely not be a top five QB in this league. But these are the top five. Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, and Jordan Love. Monica, what does that tell you? About the value of having a running quarterback in this particular league. All five of those players are runners in some right or another.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. And, and kind of, and I guess the question kind of originated from, you know, the thought process of looking at my roster and I see, you know, Derrick Henry and Travis Etienne are free agents, you know, and it was like, well, that's just hypothetical. I don't, I haven't looked. I don't know if they are, but True. like, which one should I, should I choose? You know, that's kind of where that one originated. That question. Then. Well,
0: and it's a good question because, like I said, in my opinion, I know it might to some people be like that was so boring. I'm sorry, but I've won eight, you know, championships in multiple different leagues over the last few years doing this method. I always check the scoring settings. If anything changes in the off season, you got to know because mm-hmm. that year that everybody changed, all of the votes changed the scoring setting, and everybody was like, all right, finally, we've we've hurt you know Michael's team enough to where he will not be competitive anymore. I still scored the most. And Dan Cates and I were talking about it, and he goes, We changed the scoring, and he still scores the most. That's because I adapt the team to match the scoring settings. And if you're not doing that, then you're missing out on pretty much free points because in a league where Rashad white is a top five running back, nobody, unless they just look at the fact that Rashad white is a top five running back, nobody's going to ask for top five compensation for him. And you can get away with saying, I'll give you a six round pick and this wide receiver for white okay, I'll do that. Thank you. You just gave me a top five player. And they don't even necessarily know it a lot of times. And even if they do know it, they don't prioritize him as much as they would prioritize. Let's just say the the, the 15th wide receiver was Debo Samuel this year. I would do Debo straight up for Rashad White because of the injury concerns that Debo has. I would do a bunch of things like that over and over again. Chris Olave is one because of their quarterback concerns. I would trade him for Rashad White, Calvin Ridley, top eighteen. You can do this and get away with highway robbery. Even the top ten running backs, the next five were Derrick Henry, or excuse me, Raheem Mostert, Kyron Williams, Derrick Henry, Bijan Robinson, and then Jameer Gibbs. Wow.
1: two of
0: those are rookies. One of those is 30 something years old and had, you know, 21 total touchdowns in Raheem Mostert. The other one is Derrick Henry, who is 30 years old. But Kyron Williams, you could you could pry Kyron Williams away from some people this offseason because someone's gonna say for nothing. Yeah, he's not gonna have a second season like he just did. Yeah, he will. I can guarantee you he will. Because it's Kyron Williams and Sean McVay prioritizes the run more than people realize nowadays. And if Kyron didn't get hurt, for those two games that he got hurt, or excuse me, those four games he got hurt with that high ankle sprain, um, he would have been probably finishing as a top two running back in fantasy. He was number seven overall. He probably would have been in the top two right. because Brees Hall didn't do as much except for the fact that he had 76 receptions. By the way, all of the top five guys, they're receiving backs too. They all have the at least 52 yeah. catches or more. So um, that's that for you. We'll shift now over to the mock draft. So Monica, I'm going to share my screen with you. Okay. So that you can see this. And I'm going to do this in a way that, you know, hopefully you can see and enjoy. And then for the listeners... Hopefully, you'll enjoy it, too. Now, I just want to kind of make it known to start. um, We are not going to worry about trying to predict all of the trades that happen, but I am going to do one trade in this first mock draft, okay? I am trading with the Chicago Bears. And I'm trading with the New England Patriots. And I'm going to give the Patriots the opportunity. I can find out where they're located. There they are. I'm going to give the Patriots the opportunity to not even have to worry about who their quarterback's going to be. I'm going to give Justin Fields to the New England Patriots for a 2024 uh, second-round pick, number 34 overall. Some are trying to act like you're going to get a lot of production out of a Justin Fields trade-wise. No, you're not. The best you're going to get is one, maybe two picks. I'm going to stick with the safe bet that the Patriots would not mind giving up the 34th overall selection to get a guy like Justin Fields, and I think that's better than any of the QBs that are going to be on the board as far as knowing what you've got. So, with that being said, we're going to start the draft. And... You're in kind of a pickle here if you're a Bears fan. Because if my scenario does come true, you know exactly who you're taking. Right. But if they haven't traded Justin Fields yet, which I think they will have, but if they haven't, you're going to be sweating this pick for a, a minute because the the fear and the concern is going to be Marvin Harrison's there. Brock Bowers is there. Malik Nabors. Joe Alt is there. Those are top six players, all of which could be potential. Malik Neighbors even.
1: Can you imagine having DJ Moore, Marvin Harrison, or DJ Moore, Malik Neighbors, or DJ Moore and Brock Bowers on your team?
0: I know. My word. And that's kind of the thing that I'm struggling with, too, is let's just say, for example, I take Marvin Harrison here. Well, you know the Commanders are going to go Caleb Williams at two. The Patriots are going to probably take Joe Alt at three or Brock Bowers if they want to go back to the, the Gronkowski days. But they'll take one of those two at three. Let's just say they take J- Joe Alt At four, you have to think Malik Neighbors is the guy going to the Cardinals. At mm-hmm. five, Brock Bowers is selected. Seven is Drake May. And then you've got at eight, do you reach for Jaden Daniels in Atlanta? Or do you take the best player on the board? Because you still have Cooper DeJean, who you desperately need some cornerback help. Roma right. Dunze is still there. And you could get Kirk Cousins in the offseason. So there's a a slight possibility you could go Marvin Harrison one and still end up with Jaden Daniels at nine. Do I think that happens? No. So we're not doing it that way. But it's something that's fun to think about. Now, I'm going to go ahead and take Caleb Williams because if you trade Justin Fields, that's exactly who you got to take. On the clock here at number two, remember, we're not trading any of the first-round picks. We're just taking the players that are available. Number two has to be Drake May. You can't take Marvin Harrison there in, in Washington. You have good wide receivers. You really can't afford to not take the QB. Uh, Sam Howell basically did his best Jameis Winston impression uh, this past season. He, he threw tons of interceptions, not good with the football. Take Drake May and hope that he's better. Now, here's an interesting situation if you're a Patriots fan. The top four offensive players on the board are Marvin Harrison, Malik Neighbors, Brock Bowers, and Joe Alt. And you need pretty much all of those positions. You need a wide receiver. You need a, a tackle. And you could also argue you need an edge player. But I'm going to give them who I think Gives Justin Fields the best chance of success, and that is Joe Alt. You were not thinking that was going to be the case, though, if most of you are listening to this because you would think Marvin Harrison is right there. You got to take him. I understand I get it. I totally do. It just doesn't make sense to me to do it that way. And I'm just I'm not going to take Marvin Harrison at three when Joe Alt is there and they desperately need a tackle. And Justin Fields has been sacked more than anyone else. If you take Justin Fields, it's now your mission to make that successful. He has not proven with DJ Moore, who is better than Marvin Harrison today, probably Mm -hmm. not in the next year or two, but today he's better than him. He's not proven that that's been enough.
1: And I think what that pick kind of reminds me of was a few years ago when the Bengals are talking about, you know, Jamar Chase or, You know, yeah, Penae Sewell. And I genuinely don't think Joe Burrow would be as injured as he is if they went Sewell instead of Jamar Chase.
0: Yeah, and Jamar Chase was definitely a great pick for them. And I think Marvin Harrison would be a great pick at three. 100%. But Joe Alt, these tackles don't grow on trees. And you you don't want to be picking top three next year. You need a bookend tackle. Because that's almost always where you find them is in in the top, you know, 15 of the first round. Now, here's the quandary. You're an Arizona Cardinals fan. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, you know, you, you look at Marvin Harrison. He is the guy. He is clearly a really great player, and he's clearly a spectacular phenomenon when it comes to being drafted there. But in the draft, a lot of times people get enamored with these other names and these other things that happen. And a lot of times when you look at some of the situations, I'm, I'm thinking specifically like Malik Neighbors. He had 1,500 yards, 128 targets, 14 touchdowns. If I'm the Arizona Cardinals and I'm looking between Marvin Harrison who had – 114 targets, but 67 receptions. He had 300 less yards, and they were like the same in touchdowns. By all accounts, Harrison seemed to regress this year in so many ways because of the play of Kyle McCord, and I think that that could hurt his draft stock. And so I am going to take Malik Neighbors here at number four. I do think that there is a good chance that if you're if you are a Arizona Cardinals fan. You watch them take these wide receivers multiple times that don't make any sense. You watch them trade a first-round pick for Hollywood Brown. You watch them take Rondell Moore, these undersized guys. Michael Wilson last year played really well. You've got the tight end as well there. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Trey McBride, he's played really well. Mm-hmm. I don't think adding a Marvin Harrison to the mix there makes as much sense as adding Malik Neighbors, who's faster and has a lot more speed. So I'm going to take Malik Nabors there. But now we have a problem because you're sitting here and you are the chargers and you're Jim Harbaugh. You've been hired to be in L.A. and you've got essentially two game changing positions in front of you. And it makes no sense how this could happen. And I understand some of you are probably listening. There's no way this is going to happen. This is my first mock draft. Deal with it. It's not going to be this way the next time we talk next Friday. Uh, when we get back from the combine, it's not going to be this way every single time. Like, just deal with it, okay?
1: And but this is not completely outside of the realm of possibility,
0: though. No, definitely not, because the the Cardinals also have a chance to come back uh, at twenty seven and take another player. And so, I think if you're if you're arguing with me over Marvin Harrison Jr. being taken. This is not the first time C.D. Lamb was not the first wide receiver selected. Mm -mm. If I remember correctly, it was Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy
1: was picked up and Henry Ruggs was picked above him.
0: Yeah. And both of those players, one of, of course, unfortunately, ended up making some very bad decisions and is in prison. The other one, he has not been able to tie the shoelaces of C.D. Lamb. So this isn't out of the realm of possibility that this type of stuff happens. So this is where I'm going to lose some people because if you're a Chargers fan, you're frothing at the mouth that Marvin Harrison Jr. is there, but I'm not drafting him. I'm taking Brock Bowers because Justin Herbert has never had a bona fide tight end since he came into the league. And you watch what Travis Kelsey provides Mahomes, that safety blanket. You watch what Michael Myers started to provide for the Raiders last year. You watch what Pat Fryermuth can do over the middle, even with guys like Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky playing. You give Justin Herbert a bona fide tight end, it's game over. It's an incredible move forward to help, and it can save you some money if you can convince Brock Bowers to take tight end money in four years instead of wide receiver money. So you got the cap space to factor into this too. Uh, Monica... Mm -hmm. First five picks are done. What are we thinking?
1: I know that you said it won't be like this next time, but honestly, none of this has surprised me so far. And I could see this happening definitely. And I, in my head, I kind of knew that you were going to go Brock Bowers there because the, really the thing on my mind was salary cap. Yeah. As I was thinking about, you know, what are the Chargers going to do? What are the Broncos going to like some of these teams that are in really bad salary cap spots, but they're desperate for some talent. I'm very interested to see what happens.
0: At pick number six, it's Jaden Daniels. Um, You're in New York. You could take Marvin Harrison there, but Daniel Jones is terrible. He's not playing well. Tommy DeVito was your starting quarterback for a few games this past season And played well enough that people talked about him being the guy going forward. If that doesn't tell you that you have a quarterback issue, I don't know how to convince you. So Jaden Daniels won the Heisman, looked spectacular. Um, I don't love the fit of New York, but this feels very much like what New York would do. Mm -hmm. Which means, pick number seven, the fall stops. Marvin Harrison Jr. goes to the Tennessee Titans. How do you change your identity from a running team to a passing team? Well, DeAndre Hopkins didn't work out very well, but he didn't work out not because DeAndre is not a good wide receiver. It's because their identity was built around running the football. And when you add DeAndre Hopkins into that mix, it's never going to work out. But if you start off with, you got Traylon Burke still in, in the team, you have the ability to have, uh, Tajay Spears at your running back position. So, you know, you don't have to reach for one of the star running backs in this class. You have Marvin Harrison fall into your lap right before he could fall into Chicago's lap. You take him. That puts the Arizona Cardinals into a smart position of taking Malik neighbors the way that they did because they didn't over pursue a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. And it makes the Titans look like geniuses because for years they have refused to draft a wide receiver that is a bona fide star player in everyone's mind. You do okay. that here. You write that wrong. If Marvin Harrison is there at seven, it's him or bust.
1: And Marvin Harrison is a number one option. Traylon Burks is not a number one option.
0: Exactly. And it, But it will make Burks play better because he'll have more openings. Now, that means at number eight, you could reach here for a quarterback and some would, would beg me to do that. I'm going to take the player that I think is the best player on the board for the needs that this team has. And I'm going to take Rome Odunze because if you are the Atlanta Falcons, I think you're getting Kirk cousins. If you have Kirk cousins yeah. walk in and he's got Bijan Robinson. Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Who's the other guy? I can't even tell you his name off the top of my head who the other wide receiver is in Atlanta. You put Romo Dunze in there, you're going to be able to make the most of that two- to three-year window that you have with Kirk Cousins, and it makes sense because you can't afford to pay Pitts, London, Robinson, and whoever that fourth guy is. So you're offsetting London was drafted last year, or the year before last, Pitts the year before, Robinson last year. Now you have the ability to let one of those guys walk when the time comes. Let's be real. It's probably Bijan. That's usually how that goes. And you have the ability, though, to put together a fearsome offense for the two-year window that you probably have signed Kirk Cousins to. Mm-hmm. Now, that means at pick number nine, you are the Chicago Bears and what you hoped to happen, it didn't. There's not a wide receiver on the board here that you would be willing to take. There's not a center that I'm willing to draft this high. The defensive lineman even, I'm just not willing to take that. And so who do you take? You take Olu fashanu you, You've got to protect Caleb Williams, and you, you know the Jets are going to want a tackle. You know it. Oh, yeah. And so you can't wait and hope that you could trade back in or at 34 with the pick you got from the Patriots in this scenario, you can't wait for that to happen. You take Olu Fashanu. So, picks 10 and 11. This is the New York Jets and the Minnesota Vikings. We'll do the Jets pick. I'll let you talk about the last five, and then we'll move forward. If I'm the Jets, I'm a little panicky here because what I wanted didn't really go in my favor. There's not a star wide receiver on the board. There's not a, a superstar tackle on the board. Alt and Fashanu are both gone.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: I've got to protect Aaron Rodgers. I've got to do that. And so they will take Fuaga out of Oregon State, the tackle there, and round out the the first 10 picks in this draft. Monica, what are your thoughts so far on picks 6 through 10?
1: I. Uh- I guess I kind of get, can't get past the whole Jaden Daniels to the Giants thing. I agree with you on that pick. I just I just don't know what's going on in New York. You know, they signed Daniel Jones to that massive contract, and so you almost feel like they have to give him another shot. But well, Jaden Daniels there makes so much I mean, yeah, Jaden Daniels makes so much sense.
0: And, I mean, you factor in, Josh Rosen was drafted 10th overall and then the very next year they took Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. Not that the massive contract situation was the same there because it wasn't, but teams have been known, and I think they have to do it this way. When you know that you don't have the guy, you got to take the guy. And that guy right there in Jaden Daniels is a Heisman-winning quarterback who, if it weren't for the fact that LSU did not have a very good rounded defense, if LSU's defense, let's say the defense from the championship year, you were able to put them on this year's team of LSU, Are they in the playoff? Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the issue. If you, if you take Jaden Daniels, the Giants have a pretty good defense. They still need to fix the offense some, but you've got the ability to kind of round that out. All right. Rapid fire. We're going to do picks 11 through 15, and then I'm going to let you talk about them at number 11, Minnesota Vikings. They have a lot of needs. They need a quarterback. They need guard, center, defensive lineman, linebacker, defensive back. But that defensive back position has been lacking for them in certain areas. And so I'm going to give them Cooper Dejean. I think that he provides a, a massive uptick in production for them, and I think it makes a ton of sense. On the Denver Broncos, your defense is getting older but you're also struggling to keep up with some of the things offensively. So you could kind of argue we're going to go any way we want here, but I can't think of anything better than Byron Murphy the II uh, going into Denver and being a part of that team and giving that defensive line that has to get to Mahomes. You, the corners don't have to be as great if you can stop him from throwing the ball. So
1: mm-hmm. you prioritize
0: the defensive line. You have the players that you've got with um, Nick Nick Benito, you also have, I can't think of that guy's name. He played at Ohio State, too, and he's on my team. Um, Uh, Baron Browning? Yeah, Barron Browning. All those types of players. You also have Drew Sanders from last year. You're building a defense. I think Byron Murphy helps with that tremendously. Now, here's where things get a little hazy because I think the recency bias plays into the favor here. I'm taking Bo Nix to the L.A. Raiders the LA Raiders, the LV Raiders. And I'm going to give them Bo Nix because they need a quarterback. Aiden O'Connell is good, but he's not it. And he's a great backup quarterback, but he didn't do anything in that first area that makes you confident that he could be your guy. And there's a chance with the next five teams that two of them could be in the quarterback market. And if I think Bo Nix is the best guy on the board, I got to take him. Now, that being said, the Saints need everything except the quarterback, because they're going to have to ride with Derek Carr for at least another season. They're going to have to do what they can. But I think if you look at the Saints and you have a chance to give a a difference maker for them, I think you've got to prioritize the back end of the football. And in order to do that, to cover up all the holes that you've got, you either have to take a star corner, or you've got to take a great pass rusher. And I've always looked at the Saints as kind of having an attitude problem. I've always looked at the Saints as bullies, and that's how they love to play defense. They love guys that kind of have no chill. They just want to pin their ears back and get to the quarterback, and that's why I'm taking Dallas Turner. I just feel like it makes too much sense for Dallas Turner to become a New Orleans Saint, than anything else because he fits the M.O. Now that puts the Indianapolis Colts on the clock here at 15. They have a lot of needs too. Chief among them is defensive back. And I know it's not a, a crazy you know, thing for you and me to talk about, Monica, but the way Pro Football Focus has it, you would expect me to take Nate Wiggins here. But I'm not doing that. I'm taking Terry and Arnold. I think that he fits the Indianapolis Colts MO as well, like I said with Dallas Turner. Plus, I think people are going to be nostalgic about Bama players this particular draft and the next two because it's the last Saban recruited class. Mm -hmm. After the next two drafts are done, including this one, the next three, Saban's stamp of recruitment won't be as felt in everyone's minds as it does these next three years and mm-hmm. to get the last class fully coached by Saban from their entire start to finish if they were there for any length of time. Th- there's. I think there's going to be a lot of Bama players drafted in the first two rounds because of that, because their tendencies are better, they're well-coached usually, and they don't cause a ton of problems. Monica, what do you think about picks 11 through 15?
1: I, I agreed with all of them. I liked all of them. As far as the personality fits. Cooper DeGene, I think, fits, from what I see, have seen of him as a player, fits perfectly in Minnesota. Dallas Turner, you set up perfectly, perfect in New Orleans. And Terry and Arnold has a great personality for Indianapolis. I just, I think that you really hit those very well, not only player fits, position fits, but also personality fits.
0: Well, I think you're going to like my next pick because we talked about him. Mm
1: -hmm. It's Jared
0: verse. I'm giving Seattle Jared verse because I think that that's another situation where you're playing against Brock Purdy. You're playing against Kyler Murray. Who's very mobile. And you also have to play against Matthew Stafford for at least the next two seasons. You got to be mobile. You've got to do that. You've got to be able to get after those guys. You need edge players. Their defensive line has not been very good for the last couple of years. And I think Jared verse could help change that because He's a no-nonsense player in the sense that he's not going to make a bunch of boneheaded decisions that are mm-hmm. going to just blow your mind. Why did he do that? And Seattle, under Pete Carroll, they kind of had some players that that's just what they did. So I think Jared Verse helps a, a culture shift.
1: I'll Number, say they used to be very feast or famine, and he's not that
0: kind of player. Exactly. Number 17, Kool-Aid McKinstry. I I look – at the Jacksonville Jaguars as being a team that is just so close. They're so close. If they could just get some things taken care of, they're so close and it bothers me, but they're so close. And if you want to do that and you want to fix your team, you make sure you hit on these defensive backs because you can keep a defensive backfield a lot cheaper in certain areas. If you have a bookend safety, a bookend corner, you can shut down two sides of the field and only take up about $50 million in cap at the most. The way that the cap space is going with so many other things, I don't even think it would cost them that much. I digress. Mm-hmm. Number 18, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to need everything. It only says they need a tight end to tackle and a defensive lineman, but they're going to need everything. They don't have the salary cap space. If they're going to give $20 million to T Higgins, they're not taking a wide receiver in this draft. But if you're going to give $20 million to to T Higgins, you can't bring Mike Hilton back. You can't bring some of these other players back. And you've got to fix that offensive line. We talked about it. you got to get the offensive line going the right direction. I'm going to give them a Marius Mims tackle from Georgia. I... I could have given them Latham and I wouldn't have really balked at that with what I just said about the nostalgia and the fact that the Bengals have often prioritized Bama linemen in certain areas. But I think Amarius Mims is a very good tackle. I think he's going to play very well wherever he ends up. And it makes a lot of sense for me to put him with the Cincinnati Bengals. Now we get to the next two picks and it's, going to probably be a little shocking to some it won't shock you monica we've already talked about it i'm taking jj mccarthy to the la rams i think mccarthy is a classic nfl quarterback if he goes to the right fit he did not have to throw the ball a lot in michigan they didn't expect him to they didn't ask him to he's 20 years old and if you let him sit behind matthew stafford for two seasons which I think is what Stafford has left on his contract. Mm-hmm. He'll be 23 at the most when the season begins in his time to start. That's Bo Nix's age. That's Michael Pinnock's age, I believe. Um, or uh, no, uh, Michael Pennick's. That There you go. You, you can do that. And then he gets to learn from Matthew Stafford. And you'll probably still have Puka Nakua. You could still have Cooper Cup. And you might – still have Kyron Williams. I don't know how that one would shake out, but you would have an offensive core where J.J. McCarthy is a classic Jordan Love type player that will sneak into the first round with a team that already has an established older starter, and I would honestly say there's a chance he goes as high as 10 to the Jets because they've seen what Aaron Rodgers has been able to teach to Jordan Love. What could he teach to J.J. McCarthy? But I'm going to give J.J. McCarthy two... The L.A. Rams there at 19. At number 20, this guy's been rising up the board. And years ago, the Steelers selected a player in the first round and made the Super Bowl because of this selection in part. It was a massive culture change on the offensive line when they did it. And there were a lot of people that when they made that pick of Marquise Pouncey at center said, that made no sense, why did you take him? He played 10 years with Pittsburgh.
1: Mm-hmm. He was
0: a spectacular center, and we have not done very well in that department since. Give me Jackson Powers-Johnson at center for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Monica, pick 16 through 20. Give me your thoughts.
1: So, uh, honestly, so I – Jared versus Seattle, just absolutely perfect. Kool-Aid – To the Jaguars would be a very good fit, but I just I have this feeling, I have this feeling that after the combine he's going to be starting to creep up boards a little bit. Probably so. And as far like just comparing him to some of the other corners in this draft, and as talent wise he's on par with a lot of them, but I think his measurables are going to sneak him up a little bit, and then. Amarius Mims to the Bengals, that's probably that one I thought was also a little bit of a sniping the Steelers. Like, yes, he would be a good fit in Cincinnati, but I do think in the back of their minds, it's also how can we snipe our division rivals that are right behind us?
0: Yeah, and honestly, it was hard because. You, you could think about Jackson Powers Johnson to the Jaguars there, and it, you could justify I it. Did. I felt like that would be a reach. And I also knew that I thought Powers Johnson made the most sense in Pittsburgh yeah. than Amarius Mims at this point. Because Josh um, Moore, I think is his name, Dan Moore. Dan Moore has played okay since we kept him at – and. Uh, since we, we put him to right tackle – Uh no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm trying to get my thoughts right. We put uh Broderick Jones at right tackle. Dan Moore's played well enough to keep going from that point forward. It wouldn't be the worst thing. But, yeah, like I said, I, I think the addition of Broderick Jones last year and Dan Moore staying at left tackle, Broderick playing the right side, I just see the Steelers trying to prioritize the center. I also technically snipe the Steelers at 19 as well. Um I do think that the Steelers could easily take a quarterback in this class. Okay. Um, I also think, though, the potential for Jalen Hurts. Uh, what's his name? Jalen Hurts. Will Levis. Those types of QBs in the second round range are very likely in this class. Anything else to add about 16 through 20?
1: Um. No, I think I think we pretty much covered 16 through 20.
0: All right. Well, at pick number 21, the Miami Dolphins are on the clock, and you could argue they need a corner, and they definitely will, more than likely need to draft a corner, but I'm going to give them LeTeilatu, uh mainly because both of their players tore their Achilles on their outside linebacker positions in I can't think of his name right now, um, Bradley Chubb, and what's the other guy's name? That's going to bother me. Uh, I don't remember. Let me yeah, see. It's number fifteen. Name. I know. I know who he is. I just, and when you say it, it's going to bother me. Um, Jalen Jalen Phillips. Yeah, that's right, Jalen Phillips. So they're going to have to draft an edge player there. I just feel it in my bones.
1: And also with their potential, uh, you know, their release candidates, it really makes sense for them to take an edge player.
0: Absolutely. Now, if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm rejoicing because Nate Wiggins is available. And Mm -hmm. I would not have expected him to be available at this part. And I'm going to run to the podium and take him because Darius Slay... James Bradbury and all of their cornerback issues are not going away. They're still there. You got to fix it. And so I think that that makes a ton of sense for them to do just that. 23. Houston Texans. They don't need wide receiver. I know people are saying that, but they got Tank Dell and Nico Collins was playing spectacularly. So I don't know why the narrative is there that they need wide receiver. They don't. I'm going to give them Jerzon Newton. The defensive lineman out of Illinois, because That's that defense game. is necessary for them to go anywhere. You cannot give up all of those points in the divisional round against the Ravens, especially with a rookie quarterback like CJ Stroud. You just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Pick number 24 Dallas Cowboys. I, I genuinely struggle with what to do with Dallas sometimes because. Last year, they took Mozzie Smith, and that made a lot of sense. It was a really good pick. But then at the same time, you also look at them and go, but why do you do some of the things that you do? And How does it work? What what makes you think this is a great thing to do? But there is one position on here that I think makes a lot of sense for them, and it's Quinion Mitchell, uh, the corner out of Toledo. I think that he would be a great pairing with Deron Bland and Trayvon Diggs, especially if Diggs struggles to recover from his injury that he suffered during the season last year. And it brings us to pick number 25, the Green Bay Packers. They need a tackle. J.C. Latham is there. I'm taking J.C. Latham. So, Monica, picks 21 through 25, what do you think?
1: Nate Wiggins fits the personality of a – Eagles defense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I really like that. Jerzon Newton, I wasn't expecting you to go there, but I really like that pick the more I think about it. Quenyon Mitchell came out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Absolutely he nowhere. He did. And J.C. Latham, if Green Bay likes a tackle that holds a lot. <laughs> uh, you can get away with
0: it, though, in certain cases.
1: Yeah. But – You know that that should be a good fit. He just he really needs to get the
0: holding under control. And what about Latu to the Dolphins?
1: Yeah, and you know, like I mentioned earlier, I think that's a really good pick for them because they're they're losing so much, or they I feel like that's a massive weakness for them right now.
0: Yeah. So here are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are essentially letting. Mike Evans walk, it sounds like. So they're going to need to get a wide receiver. I'm going to give him Brian Thomas Jr., uh, the LSU wide receiver there. Um, Does he benefit from the season that Jaden Daniels had? Sure. Absolutely. But I definitely think Brian Thomas could be a guy that could play well opposite of Chris Godwin. And Kate Otten is going to be a massive player for them next year. I'm looking forward to seeing what that relationship with uh, Baker Mayfield looks like. I think Brian Thomas Jr. there. Makes a ton of sense for them to take. So, we're back to the Arizona Cardinals. We took a wide receiver. They need offensive linemen, defensive lineman, linebacker, and corner. But I'm going to do it because I do think that there will be a team that has a second pick to give like the Cardinals who will say, you know what, we can help Michael Penix, Jr., and we want the fifth-year option. We want the opportunity, if he's really, really good, to be with us for a long time. Kyler Murray's days would be numbered the moment this pick is even discussed to go this route. But yeah. it makes sense to me because Michael Penix is one of those players where you put him on a team that already has a pretty good offensive makeup with Trey McBride, in this case Malik Neighbors. You also have Michael Wilson, who played really well last year. James Conner's still playing well. A good offensive identity. If something happens to Kyler Murray, you got a better starting quarterback than you did with Clayton Toon. You got a better starting quarterback waiting, and if he turns into be nothing, you didn't really waste anything on him. There's no one on the board right now, and maybe when we get to pick 30 and I give you a chance to talk about it, there's no one on the board right now that I would look at and go, I've got to get that guy in Arizona. But Michael Penix makes sense to me. However, the Buffalo Bills – Boy, do they need some wide receiver help, huh? And I'm I'm going to give them one of these two. It's either going to be Ladd McConkey or it's going to be Troy Franklin. And I can't see Monica's face right now for her to be able to tell me who it is that I should take with her facial expressions, and I'm going to leave it that way while I while I discuss my reasonings. Um if I'm recalling correctly, um uh, There was a player for the Buffalo Bills years ago now who was very, very much of a good chemistry when it comes to being in sync with Josh Allen. And he was a really good wide receiver for a little while in the NFL named Cole Beasley. And I just kind of sit there and think, you got two options. You take Troy Franklin or lad McConkey and you take Troy Franklin. Let's be honest. I mean, seriously, what are we talking about here? McConkey's good. He's going the next pick, uh, in all honesty to the Detroit lions, because I do think the lions need to get wide receivers that could play well and complimentary football with a Monroe St. Brown. Josh Reynolds is not it. And Jamison Williams has really not played incredibly well his first two seasons. So Adding a guy like McConkie to be able to help Williams go over to the slot or McConkie in the slot with Amon Ross St. Brown floating around the field, that makes a lot of sense to me. And then the Baltimore Ravens at pick number 29, who is the worst player on the board here? Ryan Rechow. That is a punter from BYU. We will not do that to Baltimore, but I am tempted to. Baltimore's offensive line issues are atrocious. and. Ronnie Staley, or Stanley, excuse me, struggled a lot in pass coverage. Just did not play well at all. And so I could take the tackle here that's the best tackle on the board, and I could, you know, wipe my hands of that and make it feel good. I could also take a cornerback here in uh, Straw Jr. out of Missouri. If the reports are true about Marlon Humphrey, I'm really tempted to do that. Because how do you not want to replace the position that you're getting rid of with at least a a top 30 prospect? But then there's this thing with the wide receiver here, and I'm going to tell you something that maybe you guys don't know yet. Zay Flowers is being investigated for a potential domestic violence case. And if it's true that he's found guilty for doing that, there's this thing in Baltimore ever since the Ray Rice issue with that elevator video years ago where they have a zero tolerance for players who are involved in domestic violence cases. It is my understanding that unfortunately for both the woman involved and Zay Flowers football career that it could be very likely that it's true. Now, I could be wrong on that. We're still waiting for all the facts, but from what I've been reading, it doesn't look good. So I think wide receiver is going to be the play, which means I now have to kind of sit here and ask myself, who do I think is the best wide receiver on the board? And I know that it sounds crazy to maybe reach for a position and for a player but it's just such a Baltimore thing to do when it comes to the wide receiver range. And I look at a guy like Roman Wilson and he just, he's a Raven so much to me. He's the size that they typically draft and he just makes a lot of sense. And I think the hardball connection of Michigan would play really much a factor in this. So he's, I lean heavily toward Roman Wilson But there's one other player that I lean towards, and that's Keon Coleman. And it's partly because he's the opposite of what they've really tried to look for. Rashad Bateman was tall, but he wasn't really known for being this massive possession receiver. But I look at Keon Coleman, and I think that he could be a chance to actually be a game changer a guy that the last two seasons has been targeted 88 times, caught 50 to 58 of those passes for around 650 to 700-plus yards, and he scores touchdowns like crazy. So I'm going to go ahead and risk everything by taking Jermaine Burton. Boom. Gotcha. Not Roman Wilson or Keon Coleman. Are y'all crazy? Baltimore doesn't make good decisions when it comes to drafting wide receivers. And I think Jermaine Burton is the type of player that they would take. So, Monica, what are your thoughts on picks 26 through 30?
1: Okay, I'm going to go back to my statistics thing here for a second to talk about these. Brian Thompson Jr., not Thompson, Thomas Jr., when he was in the slot at LSU, 60% of his routes were fades. 60%. That's very interesting. And I think that that Sounds will... like
0: Mike Evans.
1: I know. So I think that plays well in Tampa. Uh, Penix to Arizona. That makes a lot of sense. Personally, personally, I would have flipped... McConkie and Franklin, but I get why you did it. And if you picked anybody but Jermaine Burton there to the Ravens, I was going to be very upset because there is not a single player in this draft class that is more Baltimore than Jermaine Burton. Yeah. I was going to be so upset with you, and I was going to spam you with Jermaine Burton trash-talking clips. (laughs) And, like, there is there is not a more Baltimore player than Jermaine Burden.
0: Well, we come down to the last two. They just duked it out for the Super Bowl that Monica did not watch. And they both have some pretty fatal flaws still. When I sent this first rendition of the draft to Monica, I had Jordan Morgan tackle out of Arizona going to the 49ers. He has fallen in the rankings, and so he is now down to rank number 40. But I still think the tackle is the right move for the San Francisco 49ers. And I I look at a guy like Brock Purdy and think, how do you keep him upright? How do you take care of him? Well, you prioritize getting a player that is going to be around for a long time, you prioritize getting a player that does not give up a lot of sacks. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take Tyler Guyton because he's very young, does not give up a ton of sacks. As far as he's very young, he's a redshirt junior. So to my knowledge, he can't be more than 22, right? Uh, 22,
1: 23. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he's, he's a very young player. And I mean, let me just point this out for our listeners here. These are the amount of sacks he gave up in a a two year span as a starter. Okay. His first year starting, he played nine games, excuse me, seven games. He had offensive snaps of 27, 23 run block snaps, and two pass block snaps. So he was kind of being like rotated in. He didn't give up a sack in any of those. So the next year, they gave him more responsibilities. He faced 401 offensive snaps total, 210 run block, 191 pass block. Gave up two sacks. And you think, okay, well, that's still not great. His last year, he had 663 offensive snaps, 307 pass block, or 355 pass block, 307 run block, no sacks. That's insane. Mm -hmm. And if I am the San Francisco 49ers, I know exactly what I'm thinking when that you know, opportunity comes for us to take him. It is to take that offensive lineman that we desperately need. And that brings us to the chiefs. Um, what do you think I'm going to do, Monica?
1: I know that you have tried to replace Travis Kelsey many
0: times in our discussions. Yep, And I still think that it's time to do that, not replace, but again, you take J- – J- oh, I just lost his name.
1: I think it's Jatavian yeah. Sanders.
0: You take Jatavian Sanders, and you have the 2 Titan monster, which means Kelsey could play potentially another two or three years because at some point, Kelsey has to say, I don't really care about being the guy anymore. I care about winning. I don't care about being the best anymore. I won as many Super Bowls as possible. He's mm-hmm. already probably going to go down as the best tight end in history. Yeah. And he's very likely as well to be the type of guy that people will look back on and go, how in the world, how in the world did we let them go from one tight end to the next? And if they take Jatavian Sanders from Texas, I do think that that's a very good possibility. So, Monica. My last two picks, talk about them, and then give give my mock draft a, a grade overall. Maybe your favorite player, most surprised player that I took, and we'll close out the show for this week.
1: So, I, for the last two picks, I disagreed slightly on both of them. hmm I was leaning Zach Frazier for the 49ers. Yeah. And I was also... Thinking tight end, but I was thinking Cade Stover instead of Jatavian Sanders. So that's kind of where I was thinking on those. The pick that sticks out the most in my head is uh, Jaden Daniels to the Giants. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a very smart pick. It just doesn't seem like a very giant pick to make. But I think it would be a very good thing for them. And then my absolute favorite pick of the entire draft was Jermaine Burton to the Baltimore Ravens. And not, and I don't think he's really gonna succeed there. I just it just the personality is too perfect. And I just think there's not a single more Baltimore player he's he's going to have to either Jermaine Burton has to go to either Philadelphia or Baltimore nowhere
0: yeah. else yeah i i think overall obviously i i like this mock draft because i i did do it i did you know decide <laughs> to make it so if i didn't like it i wouldn't do it If I had it to do over again, all right, I probably would have um, swapped McConkie and Franklin. I thought about it. I was so close because Cole Beasley and the Bills, he was probably Josh Allen's best safety blanket. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: they do have Dalton Kincaid, who came on very strong at the end. They do have the ability to go and get. So I think they need a guy that they can just really trust can help benefit from. Whoever is starting, if that's Gabe Davis, though I don't think that'll be the case. If it's still Stefan Diggs, they need that. But I still think the funniest thing that could possibly happen that I hope happens is I want nothing more than to see Josh Allen end up in Minnesota somehow and have Justin Jefferson and literally his whole career, his best two wide receivers be from Minnesota. I think that'd be hysterical.
1: That would be pretty funny.
0: Uh, Monica, do you got anything else to close out the show for today before I throw it away? For
1: I, I think I forgot to give a grade. I'd probably give it a a B, you know, solid, you know. But it's also the first one, so yeah. there's a lot of information that we don't know at this
0: point. And we're gonna see. I'm gonna be kind of curious to to find out. I'm gonna take a screenshot of this so that I've got it. Um. And it'll be curious to see how this changes. We didn't get to keep that last year very well. And so I, I plan on keeping that for this year. But, Monica, thanks for being on the podcast. Guys, thanks. oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: I just thank you. You know, it's really cool to be on here, talk football, and, you know, bring a little color of the from the college side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, we'll be back Tuesday after the Combine. Till then, take care.